Thank you. Good to be back home again. The third and last of the day. Would you let me take a drink, please? (laughs) I haven't taken a drink this morning. Okay. So, second week of uh, Mount Hope's mission emphasis. Last week, if you were here, uh, you may recall our friend and colleague Selwyn Bodley. And uh, if you were here, you remember he gave a uh, visual of a, a, a fresh corn husk and a dry corn husk. Do you remember that? Yeah. And so, and then he used the passage of Jesus' words where Jesus said, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Selwyn's point was sometimes what we see, what looks lovely and beautiful and good and pleasing, sometimes there's actually more power uh, in that which looks dry and dusty in the case of the two husks. It's the older one that had more potential to be planted and to be reproduced many times over. So in a sense, uh, Selwyn was dealing with our sense of sight. And how do we see? Do we see the way that God sees things? Today we're going to shift our senses to our sense of smell. And so the title of my message to correspond with that is, How Do We Smell? So in preparation for this sermon, I I read a little short little article from Smithsonian Magazine on how people smell. And they did some research around how different people smell and from on the smeller spectrum from being putrid to being very lovely uh, is very different from person to person. And what they have learned is it basically comes down to certain amino acids and how they're structured with a particular gene. And that could explain how most of us, you know, you smell Limburger cheese and you would say, that is disgusting and rancid. But there are a few of us who the amino acids are in such a line that they actually say, oh, I think I want to take a chunk out of this. Um, So our text today refers to different perceptions that people have with a certain fragrance. And so let's take a look at our text this morning. There we go. This is from first, uh, second, second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal possession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And let's pray uh, over the scripture this morning. Lord, as we come and the good seed of your word is coming into our senses, into our ears. Lord, we pray that we would till up the fallow ground, the hard ground, so that your word could find a fertile place in us. That we are not only hearers of the words, but doers of the word as well. 
And so, Lord, for this particular uh, message, uh, I have more to share than I have time to share, but I pray that you would lead me uh, in my weakness with the things that this second service of Burlington needs to hear. And I pray for fruit that would remain in Jesus' name. Amen. So spiritually speaking, how do we smell to God today? And how do we smell, spiritually speaking, to the people around us? And how is our sense of smell? How are our amino acids, are they aligned with God's design? That the things that please God, the aroma that pleases God, are those the aromas that please us? These are some of the key questions we want to ponder this morning as we consider this word. Now, our Sons of God missions theme this year, it's actually in these posters up here on either side of me, uh, is this passage, Christ Among Us, that as we are the aroma of Christ, we, are, we can be like Christ. Christ is among us. We are as the body of Christ. Jesus began his ministry when he came and incarnated himself, and Christ came among us. He came near. He moved into the neighborhood, and... Um, he demonstrated and declared the kingdom of God in Jesus' earthly ministry. And then when Jesus left, he empowered us by his Holy Spirit and commissioned us to continue that ministry as the body of Christ on the earth today. And we continue to carry the aroma of Christ with us individually and collectively as a church, as a community. So... This passage is very easy to quickly move into application, like how are we the fragrance of Christ, how are the aroma of Christ. But before I do that, I do think it's worth our time to consider the specific context and what's going on here in Corinth, because I think it will make it even more meaningful and powerful. So the big idea is this, is that our spiritual aroma is directly connected to our value systems. And in the case of the Corinthian church, they had a distorted value system. And that showed up in a number of ways. But one of the ways that it showed up was that they, the way that they thought about the Apostle Paul. And they really rejected Paul for a number of reasons. Because Paul was poor. He did manual labor, menial labor. He was a co-vocational Christian leader. He built tents with his hands. And he suffered a lot. And he was an unimpressive speaker. And so for all of these reasons, the Corinthian church, they were like saying, you know, this guy isn't very inspiring. But then there were some other more dynamic personalities that showed up at the church at Corinth. And Paul, at least in the NIV, the way it renders it, he calls them the super apostles. You can see the S on there, you know, the super apostles there in the church at Corinth. And and the super apostles, unlike Paul, they were a contrast to him because they had wealth and they were eloquent in speech. And this was impressive to the Corinthians. But Paul, he was hard-pressed. He was placed in a thing where he had to defend himself to the Corinthians, but he didn't want to defend himself. They were asking for his credentials and if you know the book, you know later he actually gives his credentials and he says, this is what he, you know, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he's memorized the whole Bible. Uh, 
you know, he has the cred. <laughs> and he suffered and he sacrificed. Um, but he says, all that's foolishness. But because he says, actually, it's when I'm weak is when I'm strong. It's not all these credentials. It's not the things that you guys are impressed with. The Corinthians' value systems, their sense of smell was off. And so Paul wrote first and second, the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians to correct these problems, these value distortions, among other things. And he also made what he called the painful visit to Corinth. So Paul showed up. And, and through the, the writing of these letters and through his painful visit, many of them began to repent, but, but not all. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians to continue to admonish them to get in alignment with the value systems of God and the things that God values so that they could be the aroma of Christ to the world as God calls us to be. And these values are things like humility and, and generosity, like you know, were demonstrated in the giving of these things to folks in need and, and many other uh, other ways. Um, neighborliness, hospitality, manifesting that when we're weak, we're strong, those kinds of values. But those kind of values, really, where do we get our values from? Our values are for what captures our attention. And uh, Pastor Timothy Keller po pointed this out, and I think it's true. We change our behavior by changing who and what we worship. Our values are determined by what we deem as important and worthy. And God is the one who is worthy of our worship and attention. And he's the one who can inform what our values should be. And if our values are askew, it probably means that there's something askew with what we're worshiping and who we're worshiping. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about the last series that we had here at Mount Hope. Do you remember what the last series was on last month? What was it? Rest. And the biblical concept of Sabbath, right. So I thought about this as an application for this message. It's a little bit far afield, but I, I, I think it'll connect. <laughs> I think it does. Is, and my, my thing about that is, what kind of value system do you need to be a kind of person who actually practices Sabbath rest? Who stops, gets off the grind and working and producing and, you know, exhaustion, and you actually stop, and you're able to stop and trust God and say, God, you got the universe and, like, I don't have to work 24-7. I actually can stop and trust you, and I can take this day as a gift that you've given to honor you and also to provide margin and space in my life that I can see others around me, that my life is not so crammed that I have no ability to see and relate to the people around me. That's a value system that, comes, that came out when God ins, uh, instituted the Sabbath as part of the Ten Commandments. But remember where it came from. I mean, it's instituted in creation, and God exemplified it himself because he worked for six days and then he rested. He created humans on the sixth day, and the first thing they saw God doing was resting and delighting in what he had made. But, but the other thing is when they came out of Egypt, 
right? The Old Testament people of God. And in Egypt, was Yahweh the God of Egypt? No, I mean, there were many hundreds of gods in Egypt, right? And Pharaoh was loyal to some of those gods, and one in particular. And what kind of value system did Pharaoh have, and did he put upon the people, right? Pharaoh was all about production, accumulation of more and more and more, and consumption. Now, do those values sound like anything that are familiar to you in dominant culture? Produce, produce, accumulate, consume. But that is not our God. And the people of God were delivered out of the hands of Pharaoh. And what did Moses say to Pharaoh as the mouthpiece of God when he went to Pharaoh? He said, let my people go, what? So that they can worship me. And as people who were delivered from the bondage of Egypt and provided for manna in the wilderness, and then God at Sinai gave them the Big Ten, and we have the Big Ten here, right? And the Sabbath is number four. The first three have to all to do about their identity with God, right? You shall have no other gods before me, shall, shall not make idols, shall not take the name of the Lord in your vein. It was all about their relationship to their God who delivered them. Their identity as the people of God. And then if number four was, because it was I who took you out, it's I who provided for you, you can rest. I've given you the Sabbath as a gift for you. And if you do it, you're going to look very different than the culture around you. <laughs> and if you do it, you actually will have a rest to be able to pay attention to the people around you. And the last six are all about how you relate to other people. Your parents and the people around you and whatnot. It's about how we relate to other human beings. Um, and, of course, God didn't only give the Ten Commandments. Right after this, he continued to give. Some of the commandments that followed were more about how to be a neighbor, what God's people were, were, like, were supposed to be like in relationship to their neighbors, right? I mean, if we're all about production and accumulation and work, 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 we really don't have space to see our neighbors, right? And to really care for them, to be able to respond to them. So we're under a different operating system, right? And so... Um, he gives some commands following this, and it's all about, I, you know, I, I won't read them all, but he gives special attention to, he says, you should not oppress the foreigner, the resident foreigner, the, or the stranger, nor torment him, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not oppress any widow or orphan. And so these commands that follow the Ten Commandments, they're all about special attention to the vulnerable, orphans, widows, uh, refugees, the foreigners that are among you, the poor. God's naming special groups. And he says, you as the people of God, you need to be known as people who are mindful of those people. And when people look at you, there needs to be signs that you're interested in those folks. Those are priority people for you. And so the Old Covenant really deals with the issue of who is your God and where your values come from and how do you pay attention to your neighbors. And then in the New Covenant, Paul picks up on this in Corinth. In Corinth. And he says, the new, 
the new covenant of Jesus, he delivered us more than from Egypt. He delivered us from the bondage of sin and death and self-absorption and self-centeredness. Jesus, by coming in the way Jesus lived a selfless life, a sacrificial life, a giving life, a life of a... Uh, a, a, a sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for our benefit was far greater and more eternal than even the deliverance from Egypt of the Old Testament people of God. And that's what you and I are beneficiaries of. And he says that deliverance should make a difference in what we value. And so, whoop, whoop, whoop. Sorry, they warned me about this. Uh, okay, I think here we go. Here we go. So this is kind of the, one of the ways that I kind of size it up as I summarize it is. What we worship determines our values. And whatever our values are, if they're aligned with God's values because we're worshiping him, then it will come out in the way that our aroma and our fragrance in God. In God. And that's kind of the line. And I like, did I, to change our behavior, we must change what and who we worship. That's what, what Keller said. And I, I like that. I think that's true. So we looked at a passage in the Old Testament. Let me look at one in the New Testament. And this is one of my favorites. And this also kind of gives a description in Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats of the kind of the value system, the people that we should be paying attention to. And it's the description, it's a familiar passage. I'm sure many of you, you know it, but let's, let's read this. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whoever did whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it unto me. And the, the, thank you for your help. <laughs> um, one of the things that strikes me about this is it's almost like the righteous. And if you continue to read, then it would also talk about the unrighteous that didn't pay attention to these people, right? But both were oblivious. Like the righteous said, Lord, when did we feed you and clothe you and and yet they were doing it, but it was because of the essence of who they were. They were the kinds of people that did it kind of maybe almost without thinking about it because it was the essence of who they were that God had transformed them to be the kinds of people that did that. And again, if you would read on further in that text, you would see, and the unrighteous asked the same question because they were oblivious to people like that around them, right? Um, 
we, we smell as we are. <laughs> we, we either are the aroma of Christ because of the work that he's done and we're walking in gratitude for what he's done and, and we're living according to the values of his kingdom or we're maybe oblivious and we're not. But we will move through the world with one aroma or another, but there'll be very different outcomes depending on the way that we move through the world with the smell <laughs> that, we, that we have. Um, you know, I pastored in Boston, Rita and I, we lived in the North End for 13 years, Little Italy, and um, we lived on the narrowest street in the city of Boston called Salutation Street. And for six of the years, we lived in the church building. We had a little apartment that was a part of the church building. And during those years in Boston, uh, we would get knocks at the door any time of day and night. And I remember the Lord distinctly alerting me to say, Greg, pay attention to the knock on the door. Because you never know who will be knocking on the door. It may be me <laughs> knocking on the door. An opportunity to, to offer the aroma of Christ to those knocking at the door. And also, sometimes Christ was coming through the door, knocking on the door, bringing the aroma of Christ through others to us that he wanted to bless us with. But unless we were aware and open to the knock at the door, then nothing was going to happen. We need to be aware of the knock at the door around us as we move through our world, whether it's your literal residential door, your door at work, the doors that you walk through that, you know, Christ is there, and he has intersecting purposes, right? One person who walked through the door when we, in our years of ministry was a guy named Theodore Roosevelt Adams. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt Adams. We called him Teddy. He was a, he was a retired, uh, had recently retired as a Boston public school teacher at Boston Latin School. He was a leader in racial justice within the Boston public school system. And we got a call from him on a snowy winter night after he'd had his toe amputated because he has diabetes. And Rita went to pick him up and brought him to a midweek service. From that moment on, for the next 10 years, Ted became an adopted grandfather to my two first children, Janae and Brady, because we had left our family in the Midwest to come do the work of the kingdom in the Northeast. And... He, in every way, became the grandfather to my children. He, every, for the next 10 years, every Wednesday night before service, he would have dinner with us. He went on vacation with us, days off with us. And, but little did I know that God brought Ted to us, right, for a purpose. Uh, Ted had experienced in, uh, intense, like, discrimination and prejudice and racism throughout his life. Um, he really had a passion for biblical justice as it relates to how we relate together as human beings across racial lines. And in those Wednesday night sessions as a young green horn, green gourd pastor, he would mentor me. And um, when we lived in the North End, it was in the 80s and 90s, it was actually a pretty racist place. I saw young people of color coming to cross into our neighborhood, getting beat up by neighborhood youth in our neighborhood. And Ted, there was no uh, sociological reason why he should make our church his home because the North End at that time had a certain reputation. But Ted was willing to come, courageously come, 
There was twice, twice as he was walking down our main street, Hanover Street, he was physically assaulted. And he would tell Rita and I, he said, you know, one day you're going to maybe find me with cement boots in Boston Harbor. You know, he would kind of joke about it. But there was a price for him to pay to come. But because he came, there was something in the DNA of our church that was changed because of the aroma, the influence that Ted brought with him. In our years of ministry there, we started, we had mostly young people and college students, but we had a contingent of seniors. We had about 12 senior Italian women and Teddy. That was the seniors group. Now, these Italian women grew, grew up with a certain reinforced kind of cultural notion about people of color, but then they met Teddy. And Teddy was their brother in Christ. Teddy became beloved by them. And Teddy was the first person that we sent to heaven. After 10 years of ministry in Boston, he was the first funeral we ever did in our church that we sent him home. And it, it was amazing to me to see these Italian women rise and give testimony with tears in their eyes because of their relationship to Ted. But it was Ted's commitment and courage and his willingness to suffer that came that made a difference in that church. And we have an opportunity to do those, sometimes heroic, sometimes, you know, just less so. Um, there's so many examples that I could give, but I'm going to give you just a couple of ex further examples of this, uh, demonstrating this aroma of Christ. And um, I, I just recently, I preached the 30-year anniversary of one of my friends who also came to ministry in Boston about the, or a little bit after I arrived. And they celebrated their 30th anniversary for the Assemblies of God Church in East Boston, now called Central Community Church. That church has never been over much over 50 people in attendance. It's not impressive. You go by and you would say, oh, there's nothing really impressive here. Uh, because it's a poor uh, urban church, Dave has always had to be a bivocational pastor. He's always had to work a second job. Barb, his wife, has had to be in the main primary. But Dave was willing to do it. And he's been a steady Eddie there. And on the 30th anniversary, I asked people in the congregation to give testimonies of the ministry of that church. And this little tugboat of a church is the fragrance of Christ in that community. Every week, like during COVID, when churches were shutting their doors or whatever, they would open their doors. And they found a way with their few loaves and fishes to let God multiply it. And they, uh, every week, 300 people come through their food pantry. Every year, they give about 25 tons of food away. They have a clothing pantry. 75 people a week come in. They have three English classes because East Boston is very diverse with many migrants and refugees and immigrants that are part of the community. So they found a way. They offer three uh, English classes. When we were there, the English classes came and sang on the platform with great joy. Uh, the church, uh, one of their members were murdered about a block from their church one day. And that affected that congregation so much that Dave and the congregation have been really agents of peacemaking and going into the streets to advocate for peace about, uh, you know, youth violence in the city and in the Boston public schools. They just, this little church that you wouldn't think has done that much. And many people that have come to faith, people from Muslim backgrounds, from Hindu backgrounds, that have been discipled in that little indiscreet church that, you know, nondescript church that you would say, oh, man, this, this is nothing impressive. 
But they are an outpost of the kingdom of God that radiates the fragrance of Christ. And so many people, the joy of that day, uh, every week after Sunday, they have a community meal. But in this day, this particular day, it was special. And people just rose in the testimonies that were percolated in that congregation. So that, that to me was an example that I thought of when I thought about this message. But then I, I thought of another one because I work with immigrants and refugees and particularly, you know, Christian refugees and immigrants that have a vision for their people here and also back home. I met this gal, this gal uh, at our Belmont campus. Her name is Grateful. Love that name. She's from Nigeria. And I took time to listen to Grateful. I said, Grateful, what are you? She graduated from Gordon-Conwell. She has two master's degree and a degree in law from Nigeria, so three degrees. And she was the founder of Great Innovators Foundation for Transformation called GIFT. And she's serving her people in Nigeria that are going through, there's a lot of internal displacement because there's a lot of violence and conflict that's happening in, in, uh, in Nigeria. And I talked to Grateful this week to kind of get an update. And I just have a couple slides to show a little bit about her work. It's very holistic, cares for the body, cares for the soul. Uh, and here's one picture of this internally displaced people in a shanty town where Gift and other partners have provided food and clothing and the gospel and hope. Um, here's another picture. Just within the last month or so, uh, Gift was uh, awarded, uh, granted a, a 240 acres to do a farm uh, to produce food for the people that are minist they're ministering to in that area, but also um, to, to do sustainable work farming practices, to teach people sustainable farming practices so that they can take those skills with them, uh, hopefully so that it'll be more sustainable. And this is a picture of the yam seedlings. And uh, I saw on video of them, like they don't have machines. They were all out there with a hoe with all these acreages, digging up the dirt, putting in these yams. And this is just a small fraction of what they need. And I asked her, uh, Grateful, how much do you need to get the rest of the yam seedlings? She said, you need about $700 more to finish this crop. In first service, somebody said, here's $300 for the, the project. That happened in the first service today. So um, if you're interested... One of the marks, the values of a, of a kingdom person, the aroma, is generosity. Paul addresses that to the church at Corinth because they said that they wanted to serve the uh, Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering from the famine. But he said, you need to finish this work, right? And, and re receive the offering so that it can go to those in need. So generosity, ways that we can be generous, this is just one way. This month, the Missions Month, Faith Promise is going to be coming up, and you're going to have an opportunity to make a decision and say, how am I going to use my resources? What am I going to commit to in the coming year in terms of seeing the kingdom of God expressed and advanced around the world? So opportunities uh, like to partner with folks like Grateful. And one last slide from Grateful. Uh, this was in a Muslim village, and this was a football club, and they had an opportunity to minister to these boys and share the gospel with them. And she said many of them responded, and they all got a Bible that they were very happy to receive in this Muslim area of Nigeria. And that was just through the work of somebody who showed up in like a Mount Hope congregation that we learned about what she's doing. And Mount Hope has also helped to partner with Grateful uh, with what she's, she's doing. 
So, so many other examples can be given from our own body. I think of Sylvia and Sylvia's Haven. What, how many thousands of people that have gone, Sylvia, that's what a heroic story right from her own church, from, un, you know, mothers, single mothers, and how she's housed, what, Sylvia's in her 90s now, and she's still doing it? I mean, that's amazing. Um, I think of Pastor Eddie and the team going to the prisons, you know, that we have that represented in our congregation. Uh, Grace Rosado um, and the ministry of uh, a new life and the home for those in recovery. Gene and Lynn Breitenbach of being a fragrance and aroma at Boston University where uh, 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 your name just flew out of my head. <laughs> Justin uh, serves as a pastor. Um, and uh, yeah, and so many others. L last night about eight or nine o'clock, I, I, I did a little crowdsourcing to the pastors of Mount Hope. And I said, hey, guys, do you, can you guys think of like people that you really feel like demonstrate the fragrance of Christ at Mount Hope? And, and so all the pastors started chiming in to me and they quickly developed a list of, I don't know, 12 or 20 people or something, I would say. And talked about different ones of you, different people in the congregation who are doing different things, expressing the aroma of Christ throughout your life. And if I started naming them, but then Pastor Rick admonished me and he says, but don't mention them from the platform. They'll get really mad if you mention their name about what they do. And it kind of reminded me of that passage from Jesus, right? That they're doing it just as a part of who they are and with no fanfare. And so... There are so many ways that we can do it. Sometimes it's huge and heroic, and we need that in a world of great need. But we also need the ordinary, <laughs> day in, day out, being the aroma of Christ. Okay, coming to the end here. Uh, closes, uh, Paul closes with this question in verse 16. And who is equal to such a task? What is that? Who is equal to the task of being the aroma of Christ by demonstrating and declaring the gospel of the kingdom. Who is equal to the, such a task? And the answer is, according to Paul, none of us in and of ourselves. It's only through what God has done and what God does and God strengthens. Paul says this in a very, very specific terms in this passage just about a chapter later. Such confidence... We have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul recognized his competence comes from God, and so does ours. We are, we are weak, and our, our strength is only found in Christ. So it's not like we can work harder to be a fragrance. It's not like we can clench our fists. It's like... We, we have to receive it from God, right? And then we have to just worship the worthy one. And as we do that out of gratitude, our life should begin to reflect the aroma of Christ as worship back to God for what so much of what he's done for us in delivering us, in being with us. Uh, and then the spillover is... It's worship to God, but it's also ministry to those uh, around us. So just the closing thoughts and kind of challenges would be, you know, what is our response? First, check our smell. What do we smell like to God? 
What do we smell like to the people around us? Is our sense of smell attuned to God's sense or to the values of this world? Sila. Think about that. Secondly, are we expressing the aroma of God in deed and word, especially among those God particularly highlights in Scripture? Is there any manifestation of that in your life? The, I mean, everybody needs the fragrance and aroma of God. But God does point out particularly people that he asks us to pay particularly attention to. Is there any manifestation of that in your life? And are there ways that you can, you can pay attention to that? And I would just say this as a resource to Mount Hope, uh, as Marvin said, um, a lot of our work in recent years has been with the refugees. And so I'm aware more than some of in, the, in Massachusetts, the need of refugees. And I would say the number one need right now, the need is so overwhelming. We need Christians who are willing to open space to refugee individuals or families. And if you have space and you would be willing to learn about being a host home, uh, Rita and I are preparing and weighing that right now for the new year. And you need other people to support you in that endeavor if you, if you take that jump. But we need more Christians who would be willing to do that and to take those kinds of steps and believe that lives can be impacted and changed dramatically, including ours as hosts, if we're willing to do that. But if you have any interest, please, please come see me. Um, and then finally, what is, what is one step uh, we can take to express the aroma of God this week and in the coming weeks? Write that down. Ponder that and what is one thing? Write that down and uh, see that through with God's grace. Bless you. Amen.